0: Oh, what a tangled web we weave when at the first we attempt to deceive. Words of Sir Walter Scott could not be more poignant in describing the narrative of Genesis chapter 27. Although Rebecca and her favorite son Jacob desired the right thing, God's blessing, they went about obtaining it in a totally wrong way. Through a plan involving deceit and manipulation, they managed to get what they wanted, but in the end, well, it was a great calamity for their family. We might say they won the blessing but lost out on its rewards. Our story centers on the Abrahamic covenant and the passing on of God's blessing to the appointed son. Now we have seen how this worked out in the life of Isaac, and now we see how it's passed on to Jacob. But unfortunately, it fits in with a theme that we find through Genesis that God's blessings are not to be obtained by human effort. It all started really back in the Garden of Eden and the temptation of Adam and Eve they thought they could be blessed by disobeying God and eating the forbidden fruit, but instead they plunged the whole world into sin. Later on, Abraham and Sarah tried to fulfill God's promise by having a son through Hagar, but that plan miserably failed as well. And now we see Rebekah and Jacob conspire to obtain the promised blessing that the older son would serve the younger according to God's oracle, but doing so by their own means and their own efforts. And we often learn the hard way that even though we desire a good thing, we cannot attain it by sinful means. As we look at this narrative this morning you'll find that it falls into six sections. And uh, each of these sections uh, really revolve around the theme of blessing. The noun and verb forms of blessing occur over 20 times in this passage. And these scenes are all based on conversations between the four members of Isaac's family. Four scenes involve a parent with their favorite child, but at no time do you find the whole family meeting together to seek God's will. The story begins with Isaac desiring to give his blessing to Esau, Esau and neither he nor Esau have the right understanding of what that entails. Then it moves to Rebekah and Jacob as they plan to manipulate Isaac into giving the blessing to Jacob, to whom it's supposed to go, but they're not trusting the Lord at all. And that plan plays out in the next scene where Jacob succeeds in deceiving his father and receiving the blessing. And the rest of the story describes the fallout in the same order of conversations. First of all, Isaac and Esau are greatly distressed as they find out they've been deceived. Then Rebekah has to send Jacob away to escape the murderous wrath of his brother Esau. And finally, Isaac, having recognized his error, passes the Abrahamic blessing on to Jacob before he leaves. So thus we're reminded that God's blessings are obtained by faith and obedience and not by human effort. So let's ask God's blessing as we study this passage this morning. Heavenly Father, once again, we're thankful for these uh, stories of old that teach us so many things. And Lord, we realize that it was your will for Jacob to obtain the blessing. He was the chosen son, according to your oracle. Seems that his father Isaac forgot about that. His uh, wife, Rebecca, did not, but Lord, they didn't seek you at all. They just sought their own means of doing what they thought was the right thing to get what they wanted, but Lord, it it, uh, ended up in uh, tragedy all the way around. So Lord, help us to realize that we can want a good thing, but the way we obtain that good thing is just as important as the desire. And help us, Lord, to realize that your blessings come to us as we Uh, faithfully trust you and obey your word. So bless us, we ask this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the first scene occurs in the first uh, few verses here, and we see here God's blessing is jeopardized by faith's failure. But before we look at that, we need to back up a little bit, and you'll see in the last couple of verses of chapter 26 that it mentions here Esau's wives. It says when he was 40 years old, he took as wives Judith, the daughter of Beery the Hittite, and Bazemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind, Isaac and Rebekah. And this whole story closes with the same mentioning in chapter uh, 28 that uh, they caused grief, to uh, Rebekah. She doesn't want her son, of course, to marry into any kind of Canaanite tribe. And realizing that this was not uh, a a favorite thing from his parents, uh, Esau ends up going to Ishmael's tribe and getting a wife from there. And Esau was always obtuse in concerning God's will, spiritual values, what uh, the Lord wanted him to do. It's also quite amazing as we go through this story that nobody in Jacob's family stands out in good light. They're marred by favoritism, lack of communication, failure to consult the Lord in a time of crisis, putting carnal desires above the spiritual, and acquiring God's blessing through human manipulation. So let's get started. Take a look here at the details that initiate this whole crisis in verse 1. As time goes by, Isaac is old, his eyes are dim that he could not see. So he calls Esau his son and he wants to give to him the blessing. Now at this point in time, Isaac must at least be 100 because we're told previously that he was 60 when his sons were born the last, uh, uh, reference to an age was back in verse 34, a previous chapter, The Esau is 40 when he gets his wives. So that means he's got to at least be 100. He may be older than that. And he's getting up there in age. Ironically, he's going to live to be 180 years old. So he's really not at the place where he has to worry about this, but he thinks that he does. He's also blind. That's going to play later on into the deception. And fearing that he's going to die, he believes it's time to pass on the blessing to one of his sons. Of course, Esau is the favorite. Esau is the firstborn, the law of uh The inheritance goes to the firstborn. So he's thinking along the lines of what is normal and acceptable, but he's not thinking along the lines of what God wants in the situation. So he calls Esau to him, he wants him to go out into the uh, forest or wherever and uh, get his hunting gear together and uh, get him a deer or a gazelle, some kind of game, uh, put together a meal that he loves and come back and when the dinner's complete, he's going to give the blessing to Esau rather than Jacob. Jacob. And note here as he does this, in verse 4, he says, Make me savory food such as I love. Bring it to me that I may eat, that my my soul may bless you before I die. And that term soul stands for the innermost being of man. So it tells us that Isaac is 100% into this transaction, and he's going to pass on all his blessings to his son, which includes, of course, the Abrahamic covenant. Now, much that we see here about Isaac is problematic. There's no doubt that he would be aware of the oracle of God when his sons were born, back in chapter 25, verse 28, that the elder was going to serve the younger. That means that the blessing's going to go in the opposite way we normally think. So had he just forgotten about that in his old age? Maybe. Or was he purposely trying to thwart the will of God because he loved Esau? That was his favorite son. All we know is is that he's about to bless the wrong son according to God's revealed word. Furthermore, throughout this narrative, Isaac is basing choices on his senses rather than God's purposes, God's will. You'll not find anywhere in here where anybody seeks the wisdom of God, and Isaac is depending upon his senses. What he hears, what he feels, what he tastes, what he smells, of course he can't see. And you'll find here the word game or venison occurs eight times, and tasty food or a savory meal occurs six times. What does that emphasize? It emphasizes the sensual, that he wants to have a a final meal with his son such as he loves, and once that occurs, he's going to give him the blessing. So it seems to me that over the years, Isaac has become more like his son Esau, who was a central man that cared little of the things of God. And so he was blind in more ways than one, because his faith is really kind of inactive in this whole story. Finally, why is nobody else in the family informed of this feast? Normally, the passing of this blessing would be a great family affair, a joyous affair. There would have been a big feast, uh, a big celebration, but it's virtually done in secret. It's just between Esau and Isaac. So it would seem that Isaac also is being somewhat deceitful here in this scenario. So, Isaac's failure of faith in God's predictive word brings the blessing into jeopardy. It could actually go to the wrong person. And that stimulates the action of Rebecca, who we find in verse 5 has been behind the scenes and she's heard everything that's taken place. And when we fail to trust and obey God's directives, whether purposely or ignorantly, We can't really expect him to bless us. We put his blessings really into jeopardy. Now that leads us to the next scene between Rebecca and Jacob. And we find here that God's blessing is going to be obtained by illegitimate means. And of course, that's not really uh, God's purpose. We need to do it legitimately. Well, let's take a look here at Rebecca's ploy to thwart Isaac's plan. Now again, Isaac's decision is causing this dilemma for his wife. Rebekah comes now to Jacob in verse 6, and she says to him, indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, bring me game, make me savory food for me, that I may eat it, and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. So this is a serious situation in her mind, If something that's going to happen pretty quickly, and she feels like she's got to do something about it, because it's not according to her understanding of God's oracle when these boys were born. So lacking faith in what God can do, she takes matters into her own hands <clears throat> uh, and she emphasizes here the term in the presence of the Lord that that shows us how serious the situation is and really every time the Lord's name is invoked here in this passage it's it's not a good thing. So she's telling him, look, this is what he said. This is going to be done in the presence of the Lord. That makes it permanent. We've got to act. We've got to do something here to change this whole scenario. We already know that Jacob is aware of the oracle because in the previous chapter, we see that he manipulated Esau into giving up his birthright. But now the blessing that is associated with the birthright is about to go the other way. So both of them know what God said. They want what God said to come to pass. They want the blessing. Maybe their attitude about it is, is not right, but instead of confronting Isaac, maybe reminding him of the promise, or trusting God and leaving it in his hands, they choose this plan to deceive Isaac and obtain the blessing any way they could. So, Rebecca plans uh, to beat Esau to the punch, uh, <clears throat> she says, "Go get me a couple of kids of the goat. I can make this savory meal that your father loves, and uh, we'll do it before Esau gets back. But we find here that Jacob is a little leery of the plan. If you look down at verse 11, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> Jacob said to Rebecca's mother, "Look. Esau, my brother's a hairy man, I'm a smooth skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him. Seem to be? He is a deceiver. I think he's deceiving his own way of thinking. So Jacob's not worried about the moral aspect of what they're doing, he's worried about getting caught. I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. So he's worried about getting caught, and that the blessing's going to end up being a cursing, and that's not going to be a great thing either. Now, uh, he's got to be realizing that they're walking a thin line here between blessing on one side and blessing uh, cursing on the other side. But note what Rebecca says. This is how committed she is to this whole scheme. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get these things for me. So she's willing to take any kind of a curse that might come upon herself in order to protect her son because she wants this blessing so badly. And uh, not only then does she prepare the meal she gets the clothing the good the the best clothing of Esau and dresses him up in that that takes care of the smell issue later on and uh uh Sends, uh, sends him off with these things, of course, taking the goat hair and somehow applying it to his skin so that when you feel it, it'll feel all hairy like uh, his brother. So when all this is prepared, she sends Jacob off to complete the ploy. And their desire for blessing is based on God's revealed will. They desire a good thing But the way they attempt to do it is certainly wrong. And we don't sin that grace may abound. We don't try to manipulate God's will by our means and make it happen because we can't see any other way that it could be happening. Trusting the Lord to work things out is the pathway to blessing. What if Rebecca had never heard that conversation? You think God could have worked it out? What if she had approached Isaac and instead of going behind his back, say, Isaac, remember what the Lord said at the birth of our children? Could the Lord have maybe used that to work things out? What if she heard this, but she decided to trust God and do nothing? Could God work it out? Certainly, God is always capable of using his means to fulfill his word. But we've got to trust him. Now, beginning verse 18, the scene shifts to Isaac and Jacob. And here we see that human efforts to do the good thing, seek God's blessing, sometimes it appears successful. So Jacob completes the deception as he goes into his father and uh, fakes being his brother Esau, he says, my father, he responds, here I am. Who are you, my son? So now the deceit drops to the next level because to carry it off, Jacob has to lie. Now he is lying by his action, but not by his words. But now we see... He's going to lie by his words. He says, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done what you told me to. Let's sit down. Let's get this thing over with. I want to get the blessing. And then Isaac asked his son, well, how did you get it so quickly? <clears throat> He's expecting him not to be around, maybe for a couple more hours or so. And now look what he does. He brings God into the deceit. He blasphemes the Lord, really, saying, the Lord, your God, not my God, your God, brought it to me. So there's another lie, really making God part of the lie. So he's gone about as deep into deception as you can go here. Isaac is leery also, not sure what's going on here. And so he says, well, I want you to come here. I want to feel you to see whether you're really my son, because when he hears the voice, it sounds like Jacob. So he wants to be sure, but notice again, he's using his senses to do that. He wants to touch him, to feel him. His ears, maybe they're deceiving him. He can't see with his eyes, so he's going to feel him, then he's going to smell him. So instead of using spiritual perception and taking it to the Lord and thinking about, you know, praying about it, he's using his senses and he's really setting aside the the truth and he's falling for what Jacob is doing here. So as as, as the story moves on here, he once again asked in verse 24, are you really my son Esau? and he lies again by saying, I am. So the meal takes place in verse 25, and he gives to Jacob the blessing. Now, this blessing is not exactly the Abrahamic covenantal blessing. It has a couple of features of it, uh, but it's more kind of a blessing of primogeniture, what you would expect of the firstborn son getting a blessing, it's not really the passing on of the Abrahamic covenant at this point. So just note here, as verse twenty-seven says, he came here, he kissed him, he smelled the smell of his clothing, and this uh, seals the deal, so to speak. And he begins to tell these things to Jacob. Surely the smell of my son's like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. So he's being deceived here into giving out this blessing. The blessing is material. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. That is something you would expect uh, to be given to the firstborn in your blessing. You want God to bless uh, the, the material things of this person. Take care of him. But then the most important aspect in the context is verse 29. Let peoples serve you. Here is the oracle of God playing out. Jacob's totally unaware of it, or excuse me, Esau, uh, Isaac's totally unaware of it. Jacob knows what's going on, but Isaac, this has escaped him. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Now, that's a little bit of a hint of the Abrahamic aspect. And then he says, be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. And how many sons does his mother have? Only one other one. And that son's going to have a whole bunch of sons and on and on and on. And Esau is going to become what nation? Edom. And then, again, in relationship to the Abrahamic part of it, cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. Who's going to be the first person to curse him? It's going to be his own brother, Esau. We didn't get that far in the story. But Esau is going to curse his brother, and Esau is, in the end, the one who's going to be cursed. So this is all prophetic of the struggle between Israel and Edom in the future, and the truth has come to pass of God's oracle. But of course, we can't say it was achieved in God's way. Well, again, Jacob got what he wanted, but he did it through sinful, illegitimate means. And God allowed the blessing to stand, but not without some pretty sharp consequences. And winning the blessing, there was much loss because the means of attaining it was selfish and sinful. Sometimes we can want a good thing, even what God sanctions, we want it so badly that we'll do anything to get it, even sin but in the end, it brings us more harm than good. So let's look at scene four. We didn't read this this morning, so uh, we'll take a look at it a little bit more deeply here, beginning at verse 30. And what we see here is that we must recognize and accept God's providence in overruling human efforts. Now, it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. So Jacob providentially barely escapes uh, seeing his brother. Now, his brother doesn't know what's going on, And maybe, you know, they would have said hi and gone their separate ways. Uh, But he comes in from hunting. He's made savory food. So it seems to be he's on his way to see his father. Uh, And Jacob's going out the back door while he's coming in the front door. And he made a savory food, brought it to his father, said to his father, let my father rise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. So he's all ready to get blessed. He wants to get blessed, not necessarily God's blessing, but you know, the blessing that the father passes on to the oldest son. He doesn't really care about the spiritual side of anything. And then Isaac said to him, who are you? Well, he says, "I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau." And then look at the response of Isaac. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly. He shook and said, "Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, I bless him, and indeed he shall be blessed." Can you imagine what Isaac was feeling at this point when he realized that he had been deceived and he had given the blessing not to his favored son, but to his son, Jacob. He's so agitated that he's physically trembling as he realizes his mistake, but I think he realizes it wasn't a mistake at all. It's what God had attended We have to give him credit here because he knows the blessing cannot be rescinded, it can't be retracted, it's going to stand. That's what verse 33 means here. And so I think Isaac may have realized at this moment the fulfillment of the birth oracle, whether he liked it or not, whether he had forgotten it or not, whether he tried to get around it somehow, that God's word came to pass. And once he realizes the truth, he knows he has no power to change it, and so he accepts God's providence. He accepts the result. Now, Esau, as he hears all this, he takes no responsibility for his actions and he blames Jacob. And I guess rightly so from his point of view. So we look at verse 34. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceeding great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me also, my father. And I wonder if Jacob could hear that in his tent. I wonder what was going through his mind. But this great exceeding cry, this kind of explosion, I would assume that a lot of people would have heard that cry, including maybe his mother. So his, his angst then deepens as his father says, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. So this just, uh, probably infuriates him because now he thinks back to what Jacob had done before. Verse 36 is not rightly, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now, look, he has taken away my blessing. So here he's using that play on the name of Jacob, which means heel snatcher. Remember when they came out of the womb that Jacob was holding onto his heel? And they named him similarly to the idea of a, of a heel snatcher. Now, he gives it meaning of a supplanter, a usurper. Because he feels he was cheated, he was the firstborn, he had the right to all these things, and now Jacob has taken it all away. And it's true, Jacob manipulated Esau into giving up his birthright, but what about Esau? Esau's appetite was uh, so strong in him, and he was so focused on his uh, his senses that he just disregarded his birthright. He didn't care what it meant then, and he's not willing to blame himself. He, he doesn't see himself as being foolish and stupid. He rejected God's providence uh, back then, and he's doing so now as well. And the New Testament commentary in the book of Hebrews warns us not to fall short of the grace of God and be a profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing, that's this story, he was rejected for he found no place of repentance Though he sought it diligently with tears, there wasn't any place to turn to. So Jacob then upholds God's providence in Esau's what we might call anti blessing. Esau says, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Don't I get a blessing? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you? There's nothing left to give you as a blessing. Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice, and he weeps. I and mean, I don't know if he realizes how dumb he was or not, but he's certainly paying a price now. And then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him. Now here's a little bit of nuance in what he says that we don't get in our, our English version here, but I want you to see that it's not really a blessing at all, because what he says actually supports the blessing that he's already given to Jacob And that's why uh, many commentators call this an anti-blessing. In verse 39, Jacob says, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. But what it misses is a nuance. Uh, The translation actually reads that your dwelling will be away from or next to the fatness of the earth, the dew of the heaven from above. And that's exactly what happens later on. Edom will be next to the land of promise. Edom will be a barren land. Edom will really not be blessed in all these ways that that Jacob was, but the land of Israel will have those blessings. So uh, the dwelling is going to be aside, next to, away from these things. And then he goes on to say, by your sword you shall live. And that's pretty much descriptive of the Edomites. Uh, They got their living by raiding other people and killing other people and living by the sword. Now God was gracious to Esau because that didn't actually happen to him personally, because God later blessed him with flocks and things. We'll see that. But as time goes on, that's not the way it's going to be for his sons. And then, of course, the nation of Edom. Matter of fact, he says, it shall come to pass when you become restless, that you shall break his yoke from your neck. But that's hundreds of years down the road. Um, And it's in the days of the Maccabees, between the, the testaments, the Edomites were incorporated into Israel, and the, the, the Herodian dynasty during the days of Jesus, before and after, they were actually Edomians who had been incorporated into Israel. And that's when the yoke is broken off. Well, Isaac and Esau. Attempted to thwart the Lord by passing God's blessing to the wrong person, but God in his sovereignty prevented that from happening. However, again, we cannot say God condoned the method by which it came about. That leads us then to the sad scene of uh, Rebekah and Jacob, beginning in verse 41. What's the result of all this? Bad outcomes. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau says in his heart, the day of mourning for my father's is at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So that's what is his motivation moving forward. As soon as my father dies, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to pretty much I would say that he's going to take whatever was given to Jacob. So that's not a very good outcome. And here again, we see Rebecca, she finds this out. Seems to be she's pretty good at finding things out, like most mothers are. Uh, The words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebecca. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, said to him, surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Again, she wants him to obey her. Arise, flee to my brother Laban and Haran. That's in Paddan, uh, uh, Paddan Aram, where um, uh, Isaac got his wife from. Stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? So what's her idea? Well, I go up there for, you know, a few days, a few weeks. How long does it end up being? 20 years. And very likely she never sees her son. She's not mentioned again uh, in the, the stories of Genesis until her death, and it says where she was buried could well be that the curse did fall on her in a sense because she doesn't see him again then to make this all happen she goes to her husband Isaac in verse 46 says I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth if Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth that means the Hittites like these who are the daughters of the land what good will my my life be to me So this is how she gets Isaac to send him off without realizing what's going on between the two brothers. He does need a wife. Good place for him to get one. Again, is the family, not from the people of the land. So Jacob has to flee to Paddan Aram, and this ends up not working out real well for him. Because the deceiver gets deceived all the time from Uncle Laban. And uh, that story will unravel as time moves forward. So, when we attempt to do God's will in our way, we can't always see the negative outcomes. God may allow us to do somewhat, uh, uh, to somewhat succeed in those endeavors, but actually it diminishes the blessing that we sought. Well, the last thing. Is in verse twenty-eight, or excuse me, chapter twenty-eight, the first few verses. This is how it all ends up, how it plays out. And here again, we have Isaac um, and Jacob. Isaac called Jacob, blessed him, and charged him, and said to him, "You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father." And take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Then what does he do? He gives him the promise of Abraham, the covenantal promise. This is what was intended all along. And he now realizes this is what should have been done in the first place. And so we have here the Abrahamic covenant extended to Jacob. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land of which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. And Isaac sent Jacob away. He went to Padan and Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob, and Esau. So the grace of God overrides these sinful endeavors to acquire God's blessing, and he ends up with the Abrahamic covenant blessing that he should have gotten in the first place, but everybody had the wrong thinking, the wrong uh, doing, and uh, a lot of bad things happened as a result of it. Jacob didn't deserve the blessing. But despite his lying, despite his deceit, God fulfilled his word, and God fulfilled his purpose. Jacob has yet to make the Lord his God, and he's got a long journey ahead of him to learn who God is, and that he needs to serve him with his life and not try to manipulate blessings out of him. And again, unfortunately, many negative outcomes have developed from this story because of the lapse of faith, the not calling upon the Lord. Esau wants to murder his brother. Jacob's forced to flee the promised land, and he's going to experience the fruit of deceit at the hands of Laban. Rebekah does lose both of her sons. What kind of relationship do you think she would have with Esau now when he sees everything that's taken place? and then nothing more is heard of concerning her, and Isaac really has no significant part to play in the rest of Jacob's story. So it never pays to use deceit, manipulation, or any other wrongful means to obtain something that is good, This a blessing from God. He can only bless us as we remain faithful by trusting him, in obeying his word, that he can work out these difficulties in life. Our Heavenly Father, we again are thankful for the teaching of your word. We realize, Lord, that we have an abundance of blessing in the Lord Jesus Christ. and We don't really have to seek uh, some means of obtaining them. We simply need to trust what you have promised us and realize that through a life you will continue Uh, to bless us with your good things, Uh, even when you put us through times of testing. We know we can grow from that. So Lord, help us always to be trusting your word, being obedient to it, that we might be in the way of blessing. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.